0: Good morning, or not morning, you got it, evening, Uh, good evening everyone, I'm Pastor Mark and I am glad you are here, we are in the third and final installment of three times nine, Uh, has anybody not been here for any of them, No. I'm just putting you on the spot, okay good, I'll explain it for you guys back here, Uh, anybody over here, oh okay, so very good, what three times nine is, is actually a recognition that God has given different uh, voices and gifting uh, here at our church. And uh, three uh, pastors actually have the, the gift of teaching and they have a very um, different perspective on Scripture. And many times when I've sat under their teaching and I've heard them give, uh, talk about God's Word, I was like, wow, I would have never brought in that point or I would not have thought about it that way. And uh, came to the point where it was like, "Wow, you know wouldn 't it be amazing to recognize that and 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 have a series where we would have all have the same biblical topic and we wouldn 't tr- talk with each other about it beforehand, and we would come in and uh we 'd each have nine minutes to speak about that topic and the first week we did biblical community, and then the the next week uh we did discipleship. And then this week, we are going to do worship. So uh, we're pretty excited about that. We've learned some stuff along the way. And one thing that we learned is if we just do it uh, one, two, three, it's like drinking out of a fire hose and it's like overwhelming and intense and not an enjoyable experience at all. Uh, so we decided that we're going to have a little conversation in between each one to try to slow down the pace a little bit, especially after that song, Eric. Yeah, I know. So, Josh approves, though, so it's it's okay. So, uh, we're gonna just ask uh, each other a couple of questions or a question about uh, our experience with worship. So, will you please welcome Pastor Dan? Hi, hi, Pastor Dan. Uh, I'm doing well, thank you. Um, so, tell us about a worship experience uh, or a way that you've experienced worshiping God um, that sticks out in your mind. All right. Um, as I was thinking about this this
1: week, I was taking back to kind of like a really special gift that God gave me uh, about six years ago. Yeah, it's about six years ago. Um, earlier that year, my, my dad had been diagnosed with brain cancer. And uh, as we were kind of like journeying through that as a family and and what God was doing and and trying to figure out, um, you know, just facing the mortality of a a loved one, uh, we had the opportunity to go to a men's conference. And so my dad and I went. It was just kind of an amazing weekend to be able to sit under some good Bible teaching. And and, uh, the worship was, um, it was just powerful. But there was this this one uh, session where as we went in... um, my dad and I were sitting together, and we we're worshiping, and this this song came on, uh, and it was In Christ Alone. And we're sitting there, and, and, and you know, all right, everybody stand up, and we're standing up and just closing our eyes and raising our hands. My dad's pretty tall, too. Yeah, he was pretty tall. And so we're standing next to each other, and I don't really know what the worship experience behind us was, <laughs> kind of like creating this screen, um, but... Uh, but as we're there in and, and the song, the words, you know, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever clutch me, you know, can ever rip me out of God's hand, essentially. And, and as, as we were singing that, my dad just grabbed my hand, you know, and we're just praising God. I'm saying, here, here's this great man of faith who loves God so much and, and has this diagnosis that he, you know, his expiration date has been given, <laughs> you know and And here he is, just sitting in faith, and it was just such a gift to be able to have that with my dad and every time i every time Eric plays that song or I'm like I hear it somewhere else, I just kind of like like dribble onto the floor into this pool, or I' uh, just like oh, somebody help me <laughs> I'm just wasted um and so that was just a really special gift of a moment in time to be able to look back and kind of focus on uh,
0: some good worship wow, fantastic, thank you for sharing that and just uh, when we were at your dad's memorial, uh, um, and this is just a bonus one, I have another one, but uh, <laughs> uh, actually just seeing your family get up together and sing yeah. at your dad's memorial was just an amazing experience, too. It's pretty tough. So, <laughs> All right. Whew.
1: I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> All right. We'll recover here. All right. Um, worship. Worship talking about worship. So worship, um, I would submit that worship is something that it is impossible for us not to do. I don't believe worship is a choice. I believe that worship is something that we must do. It's a question of what direction we do it. And so as we're talking tonight, we're going to kind of try to fix our mind upon how do we, how do we worship in a Godward way. And, I, and kind of the closest thing that as I was thinking about this, kind of our context, we all have a, a, some understanding of love. And so I think that, that really trying to relate worship to love is, is a good point for us to look at. And there's this quote from C.S. Lewis. And he says, "There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. And so here we are. We have love, and love love changes the way that we think. Love uh, opens up our hearts to be able to embrace new ideas. It, it it gives us the courage to face fears. It gives us a hope to be able to continue." Love changes the way that we think. And as I remember being a a young man and just kind of beginning to engage who God is and responding to his call, and did that for a few years and began to mold the way that I related to other people until I finally saw so much hypocrisy in the world and the people around me and people that proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord. Claim to be worshipers of God, that I just said, uh, I, I can't handle this. <laughs> My immature 15-year-old mind is just, I, I can't fathom how these two things fit together in the scope of godliness. And so I just ran away from God because I just couldn't handle I was I was immature. And during that time, love began to mold and shape the way that I thought and the way that I related to the world, but, but in a different way. From eighteen to 21, there's this kind of three and a half year period where, well, I, I must be a worshiper of something. So here, let me let me worship this girl. And so I got into this relationship and uh, began to just kind of really focus and invest and spend all of my time trying to make her happy or trying to make myself happy and satisfied. In this relationship, I even, I even gave her my tithe, <laughs> probably threw in a few offerings in there too, <laughs> you know, to, kind of like just to conceptualize like, yeah, this is something that I'm investing in. And as I was going through that, just going, man, look at, look at the things afterwards, just kind of in hindsight, look at the things that I gave up, look at the things that fell by the wayside, look at the family that I cast aside in order to be able to, to have this relationship. Look at the other areas of my life that, that were failures or were less than, less than excellent because I chose to find my worth in, in this particular avenue of worship. Love changes the way we think. And the words that are used for worship in the Bible, it's this, it's this picture of, of laying down. It's this picture of, of lying prostrate it's a picture of submitting of of putting yourself under the recognition and the and the mentality that that there is something that deserves a response there's something that deserves me to esteem me to to lift up for me to revere there's something that demands my attention and so for us, as we go through life, we find out, you know, well, hey, guess what? Where am I investing my time? Where am I investing my resources? What am I worshiping? And so I went through a, a period of time where, like I said, I worshiped this girl. I often wonder how long it takes. There's a set time for, for us to understand the deception that we're in when we're trying to find our worth solely in what someone else thinks about us. It's word codependency. Or maybe maybe workaholic. How how long does it take for us to realize that that me investing in, in just trying to be productive ultimately is unsatisfying and leaves me empty inside and leaves me feeling used? This idea of worship and, and just laying down. And as I was thinking about this, I, I was reminded of the section of scripture in Colossians chapter three. In chapter 2, the end of chapter 2 and beginning of chapter 3. And in verse 20, it says, Paul speaking, You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So, why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't touch, don't taste? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Here you got this form of godliness, but you're denying its power. It reminded me of this section of Scripture in Mark 7 and and Matthew 15 where Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he says, you guys just have like these traditions that you follow, and you you put the traditions of man higher than godliness and, and worshiping, the creator. And he says your worship is a farce. It's fake. It actually, your religiosity actually makes a mockery of who God is. Paul continues and he he says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. And we get this, this picture that he, that he paints of, all right, love. Love and, and responding to that and understanding that, that God's design in, in relationship and for worship is, is really about response. We respond to the things around us, and, and they draw us into worship of them. Man, I just I cannot wait to get that, you know, 50-inch LCD flat screen TV. We know all of its specifications. <laughs> I can't wait because this, this video game is coming out, and it's going to be so amazing. The graphics are intense. Oh, I, the, this, this designer, they, they're, they're coming out with this new line, and I can't wait for it to be released. I, and we, our hearts long, and they and they drawn to these things. And God's saying, no, I want, you to, I want you to be free to respond to all of the love that I have for you. I want you to be free. Don't, don't try to set up the rules of, well, just don't taste and don't touch. And No, respond. Worship. Find out how worthy he is and go for that. That is the reality of the things of heaven. That is the reality of Christ sitting in the place of honor. And he deserves that place of honor in our lives. Oswald Chambers put it this way. He said, remember that you have been saved so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in your body. This is purpose. This is worship. This is the freedom of responding to the love of God and not the falseness of religiosity. Final note, the same word that's used by Jesus there to describe the Pharisees' mockery of worship is the same exact word that is used for what the soldiers did for Jesus as they prepared to put him on the cross. May us as believers in Christ not identify that kind of worship. Amen? Amen. Let's welcome up Pastor Eric. <clears throat> so tell me, uh, tell us a, a special time. Um, you probably have like 10 zillion of them as a worship leader, right? A special time of worship.
2: Yeah, there's definitely been some really amazing times. And, and uh, you know, I always tell people who are kind of starting on the worship Team that I feel like we have the best seats in the house because we get to watch God work, you know, in our friends, you know, on a Sunday, just as kind of He does things throughout the room during worship. So it's really, it's really cool. But I actually wanted to to share something I, I don't have a, a concise memory of, um, but it's something that has been on my heart to share, and that is that I grew up, I grew up kind of a, in a pretty low key church you know e- expression you know hymns pews and everything and uh and then i kind of wandered away from from god and from the faith for a while and and i think like the thing that i wanted to share but i wish i could remember the exact date is like the first time i physically expressed you know something in worship because to me when i grew up like anybody who lifted their hands oh, yeah. they they were a crazy <laughs> you know charismatic pentecostal person and right. and as a and as a in our denomination, it was like, well, you get away from those people because they are <laughs> freaky. Um, and I just remember kind of just going on a journey to where finally like one day, like I, I just, I lifted my hands, I, like physically expressed something. And it was like a floodgate opening up wow. in me. And it was so freeing. And I, and, and I just remember that, um, like I don't remember the exact date, but I just remember the season of God working in my life where finally I could release so much of what was inside of me. Right. That's just kind of what I wanted
1: to Yeah, great freedom in worshiping God.
2: Awesome. Changed my life. Look
1: forward to hearing what you're going to share.
2: Oh, I I am too. Um, I wanted to kind of talk to you guys um, about uh, an episode of King David's life. And I really kind of wanted to, in the interest of full disclosure, just say I I just kind of heard a podcast about this particular uh, scripture. And so um, I'm not, you know, I'm not like, stealing anybody's message or anything. It was really just a matter of like this uh, This podcast talked about this scripture, and it really just, I found it compelling. So we're going to be talking out of Second Samuel, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 23, and what's going on here is that King David is basically in a cave with a bunch of his followers, and he's at war with the Philistines. And um, this brief passage is just going to set up something that I find really, really interesting about King David the man. So we're actually going to start in, um, in verse 15. So they're in this cave. And King David just kind of makes this comment. He says, uh, David remarked longingly to his men. Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is David's, like, home. That's his home city. Um, the place he wants to be. a place that takes his name. So the three who are these kind of like elite fighting guys. The three, who obviously don't understand metaphorical language, um, broke through the Philistine lines, broke through the enemy lines, drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem and brought it back to David for him to drink. So here you go, boss. Like, here's the water you wanted. And I'm sure he's kind of like, uh, wasn't really serious there, guys. Um, And he refuses to drink it. And then he says this, instead he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid it that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So basically David like, takes this cup of water that these guys have, have brought him, and he pours it out as a drink offering to the Lord, which is a common offering in the, in the Hebrew religion and in other religions of that day. And he basically says, this little cup of water, this normal cup of water has now become something sacred, something special. I will not drink it. I don't, I'm not worthy to drink it because of what has gone into getting it for me. And that just really triggered my thinking of like, what kind of thinking makes something as ordinary as a cup of water into something sacred, into something special, into something unique? And I want to suggest to you that, it's, it, that David lives in such a way, and he sees the world in such a way that, that, is, uh, that is, is those types of opportunities happen all the time. I think David lives what I would call sacramentally. I think God, you see, is active in the world all around us all the time. And through common everyday objects, a cup of water, a phone call that comes from a a friend or, or, or a loved one, any moment we live in a world that God could invade and we have an opportunity to respond if we see it that way. If we see the world sacramentally, anything can be an opportunity for us to worship. To really put it concisely, like to live sacramentally is to say that worship happens whenever and wherever God shows up and we respond. So basically God shows up in this cup of water and David says, you know what? I'm not gonna drink this. This is an opportunity for us to worship. And that is the reality I think we live in, but there's, there's a, there is a, a, a current in our lives as people that works so hard against this and all of our lives, we are told, you know, you need to grow up. You need to, you need to become mature. Scripture even tells us in a way, become mature. And maturity is a great thing to aspire to, responsibility, you know, paychecks, uh, living on your own, bills, hello? Um, but there is something about maturity that costs us in our lives. And I think it's so beautifully illustrated um, has anybody ever played peekaboo with an infant or a toddler? And yes, please, thank you. The rest of you are lying. Um, the rules to the game of peekaboo are quite simple, right? Big person covers up face, baby sits there. Big person takes hand away, baby sees face. Oh, joy, celebration, laughter, response. If the baby ever decided that like after 10 times of revealing the face, like it was getting old and the baby was like, Mom, Dad, can you get a new routine? Because just the face getting a little bit old. Can you put a clown nose on or something? The, the, the game would completely fall apart, would it not? But does the baby ever do that? you you do it five times, 10 times, 15 times. Every time you take your face away, baby has the same response joy, celebration, wonder. Like they just see the world in a way that we have lost. Because how many times do we kind of see the same thing over and over again? And in our lives, the same thing over and over again leads to routine, mundane, take it for granted. How many times do we come to church on a Sunday and like, I've done this hundreds of times, thousands of times? Same old thing. When the baby sees the face of their father, their mother, their loved one, they know what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to celebrate. They're supposed to respond. Um, I think that we could do well to remember what it's like to have, to all of a sudden spontaneously see the face of our father. In, in a phone call, in a glass of water, and respond with the wonder and the joy of a, of a baby. Are you with me? Um, a, a guy puts it, puts it this way. I want to leave you with this quote. A guy named uh, G.K. Chesterton wrote this. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be, this is awesome, that He has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old. And our father is younger than we. Uh, wonder is so intrinsically reti- uh, tied to worship. You lose wonder, you lose worship. You lose the joy of seeing your father's face. you will lose the hunger for worship. And so as we sit around and we, we ask, um, like, how are you doing with wonder?" Do you wake up every morning and go, like, man, I've seen a hundred of these? Because I can tell you this, God does not see the world this way. Do you think that every person that, that, uh, that declares allegiance to Jesus and decides to come into the kingdom, do you think God ever says, I've seen a million of these guys? Ah, another person. Ah, well. No. Scripture says that when a person decides to come into the kingdom of light, that there is a celebration in heaven. And somehow God gets this idea of saying, "Like I don't care if I've seen a million, 10 million, 100 million people declare allegiance to Jesus. It's like it's happening for the very first time. And so as we kind of go on our faith journeys, my prayer for myself, for my family, and for us is that we would continue to see every day, every moment, every mundane thing as an opportunity for God, for our Father to show up and to reveal His face and for us to respond in joy and in celebration. Amen. Amen. Everybody, welcome up Pastor Mark. Um, Pastor Mark, would you be so kind to share with us a, like, kind of just a story about how worship has played out in your life? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh... I was thinking about when I really the really see God's face the the peekaboo the the wonder uh and for me that is baptisms uh one of the greatest honors and and privileges as a pastor is being part of people's journey in that time of of being baptized and and over the past ten years of of being a pastor and hearing people's stories it i've never ceased to be amazed at at uh how God calls people to him and I used to have a very narrow view of how that happened and and how he he reaches into people's circumstances and and goes places that i wouldn't go and experiences things that that i Probably wouldn't be experience, wouldn't experience, and I'm constantly reminded in baptism and during baptism and people's stories of that that God loves people more than I do, and just having that opportunity at the time of baptism to see people go under the water and and symbolically die to themselves and come up a new creation in Christ, uh, that to me. Uh, is is a time that I just really am just I fall to my knees and and just praise God for the great God he is.
2: Amen. Thank Here's you. Your
0: stool. Thank you. Let it rip. I will. <laughs> there you go. Well, listening to Pastor Dan and, and Pastor Eric and just uh, the idea of wonder and, and connecting with God. And, and But what Pastor Dan alluded to and, and, and spoke into, the reality is that we are designed for worship. That, that we don't have a choice. That we're, we're going to worship something. And for, for most people... That That isn't Jesus. For most people, that ends up being money or, or power or a career or another person. That, that can even be things like a car or a band or different things like that. But we end up worshiping something. And there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that but I think it's one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. And a lot of people make fun of it because it's also the, the shortest verse. And it's found in John chapter 11 and verse 35. And it simply says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And I think that this, these two words are so profound and they tell us so much that we need to know. Because our God wept. That our God cried for us. And the reality is that when we were hurt and we were broken, that money never wept for anyone. That power has never shed a tear for a soul. A car couldn't give a rip if your heart is broken. That fame has never lost any sleep over your hurt or your pain. But Jesus wept. And I think the reason He wept is so important. And uh, that's found uh, starting in verse 17. One of Jesus' dear friends had died. His name was Lazarus in verse 17 says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha, Martha and Mary in their loss. That was uh, Lazarus sisters. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house martha said to jesus lord if only you had been here my brother would not have died you know at first you hear you know like martha and mary are at the house and and they hear that jesus has come and martha gets up and she goes to jesus not to hug him and say thank you for coming jesus oh that's so nice but she goes up and like goes right up to jesus right up to the son of god and says dude Jesus, if you were here, my brother would not have died. And Mary just didn't even bother coming. But then she continues and tags on. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. In verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And check out how she takes this. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at that last day. Jesus speaks into her life and says, "Look, it's going to be OK. I know that he's been in the grave for four days, but I'm here now, and he's going to rise again." And she takes it as Jesus is just religious ossiting. Was that the word that you used? <laughs> They're just, you know, religiousizing. How about that? And and just saying nice words to make her feel better, and that's the way she takes it. It's like, oh, wait, you know, Martha, it's going to be okay. You know, I, he's going to rise again, and she's like, oh, yes, isn't that nice? Someday we'll all rise, and someday we'll all be on fluffy clouds, and it won't it won't it be nice? And he's like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. And then he goes, look, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. Jesus is here. Martha came, but Mary's not. That Jesus cares about this family, that he has a relationship, that he's invested in this family and how they're feeling. And you know what? That Martha was there, he knew that somebody else was hurting, so he sends her back and says, Martha, go get Mary because... I need to talk with her as well. So Mary immediately went to Him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met Him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at His feet and said, Lord, if You had only been here My brother would not have died. You see, they had seen Jesus heal other people. They'd seen Him heal people that He didn't even know, complete strangers. But He was a dear friend of Lazarus and of Mary and of Martha. And they're like, Jesus, really? You couldn't have got here on time? And they'd seen Him heal, but not even them believed at this time that He could raise people from the dead. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up with inside him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Why? Did Jesus weep because his good friend Lazarus had died? No. He already had told Mary and Martha that he was going to raise them from the dead, him from the dead. The reason Jesus wept, and check out the word wept. This is not, not he, Jesus didn't mist up. He wasn't fanning himself. I don't know why people do that, right? You know, and you breathe, and that doesn't stop you from crying. Don't do it, it's annoying. Uh, You know, he he didn't shed a tear or, or anything like that. He openly wept. Why? Because of the despair and brokenness and the condition of his creation and where they had come. In fact, this whole instance in why he was angry and why he was upset was the whole reason that he had come. Because death entered into the world when sin entered into the world. And there was a cavern between God and his creation. And he had a holy discontentment about this situation. And he had come to resolve that. And as he was there doing life and in the midst of the people that he loved so dearly and saw their separation and their brokenness and his pain, he was so moved by their pain and their circumstance that he broke down and wept. And the reality is that you know, people say, why is Jesus the only way? Well, we, will, we should be happy that there is a way. Because you know what? Brahman, Muhammad, Allah, Buddha, they did not weep. And they did not come for us. But Jesus did. That Jesus came into our circumstance that there's no place that He wouldn't go and there is no darkness that He will not be with you at. There is no length that He will refuse to go to to reunite you with the relationship that you were created to have. The truth is also that He is worthy of our praise because He came for us and because He cares for us, That He is not a distant and aloof God. And that just like for Mary and Martha how, and the other mourners and how He wept at their condition and wept in their circumstance, the truth is that He has wept in your darkest moments. He's wept. He wept when you lost your job. He wept when your marriage disintegrated. Jesus wept when you lost that child. Jesus wept when that person that you thought would be true to you cheated on you. Jesus wept when you were abused as a child. Jesus wept when you were taken advantage of and maybe raped by a bigger, stronger person. But the truth is why Jesus is worthy of our praise is because He feels and does not shield Himself from the ugly, dark, broken, messy existence that our condition often dictates. Jesus wept. Because he cared so deeply about us. And he, because of that, is worthy of our praise. You guys pray with me. Dear Lord, we have a history of hurt and of pain. And so many times we feel like we are completely alone in our circumstance. But the truth is, You are there. And You are crying along with us. Lord, we ask for Your restoration and Your power. We ask that You will give us a peace that transcends all understanding, that we will open up our hearts fully to You and look for You and look for Your face with everlasting wonder. We love You, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.